Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. <laughs> Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Had that note about the Ottawa Senators reducing the capacity of their arena by about 1,500 seats. Whoever does go to the games won't see defenseman Eric Carlson for a while uh, because of injury. He won't be back for the start of season. Uh, the start of the season. Oilers note Anton Slepeshev with a bit of an ankle problem, not expected to be ready for training camp. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Inside Sports on 630. Chad, you can text 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. Eskimos with a three-game losing streak. Here's head coach Jason Moss. We've fallen behind in all three of those games early and haven't played good enough through this course of a game to kind of come back from it. Uh, you know, I think we've finished strong in all three of them, which is a good thing. We just dug ourselves too big of a hole to get back from, and some of it's mental, some of it's physical, some of it's a little bit in between. Um, I give credit to the teams we played. That's the other thing. I don't, I don't just sit here and think that it's only us. I mean, there's times when a team plays better than us at a stretch of, of a ball game and starting out the last three ball games the recipe for disaster has been turning over the ball on offense having key penalties on defense and giving up things on special teams early in games has cost us a lead early and 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 maybe whether your psyche gets tested at that point or not it's very difficult to overcome and it's been difficult for us to overcome but i like to think we've learned from some of those things and if it does happen to us a third or fourth time maybe one of those games will just come back from it and say we've learned and start winning again despite all the stuff that happens in the beginning of a game. All right, so clearly the starts have been poor for the Eskimos, falling behind, falling behind by a lot. And, and I know, because I'm with, I'm with you guys, you get sick of that cliche and players saying, we got to get a good start. we got to get it going. You know, hockey, first shift, first goal. Football. We got to get a stop and a score, or a score and a stop, right off the hop. Well, you get tired of hearing of it until you see your favorite team fall behind and, and basically lose games in in the first half. So you know, hopefully, and, and the thing is, a team like Calgary, when they get rolling, they're not looking back. They're not. They're not looking back. And, and they were just confident and sharp against the Eskimos all afternoon. I, I just want to revisit something here uh, quickly because because it is worth talking about. I, I was kind of given the, the the one texture a hard time there about questioning Riley and saying Franklin has has to go in, but but I think it was a valid question from Monday's game about Riley playing in the fourth quarter when the Eskimos were down thirty or or whatever it was because you're not coming back at that point and. If he's getting hit, you don't want to lose the guy to an injury 
in a meaningless quarter of football. And he was pulled with about 10, 11 minutes to go against Saskatchewan the previous week. So Jason Moss was in studio for the show with Morley Scott on Monday, and he gave this explanation about Riley and keeping him in the game. It's tough. It's tough on a quarterback mentally when you don't play up to your abilities and you feel like you are a direct result, one of the reasons your, your team loses. I mean, that's hard to swallow. It's hard to get over. Um, the the thing that, you know, Mike and I have talked about is he needs to get over that. I mean, you, you, no one person wins or loses games, but, you know, he still has big shoulders for a reason. He's our leader for a reason. Um, you know, he, he takes those those losses very hard particularly when he doesn't play up to his abilities and um you know the last two games definitely has not been his strongest since i've been here they've been two of his his lowest rated games for us when we grade him um but i'll tell you what the fourth quarter he was fantastic and he, he seemed to get out of his little funk and he was throwing the ball with conviction he was reading things properly uh his feet were good um you know i i, I think that's hopefully the turning point for for him mentally uh, and physically because, you know, I know, you know, going into the SAS game, he would, he wasn't throwing the ball as well in practice or in that game as I've seen him throw it. And all of a sudden this game, he gets that all back. So I'm excited about Mike. I, I, uh, I think he's going to, you know, I think he's turned the corner in that fourth quarter, and I think uh, those positive vibes, those positive points we had in the in the good quarter that we played on offense, I think will translate to a, a better start and finish in this next game. And that's part of the answer to the next question I'm going to ask you. Was there any talk or much talk about making a change? Uh, Who's with, with Mike? Uh, I mean, on the bench. Were you guys? Were you ever thinking? Like, no. I know you did it two weeks ago against Saskatchewan. Were you thinking about it at all no. this week? I mean, again, that game in Saskatchewan, to, or this game against Sask, was a little bit different. It was, you know, forty to six to start the fourth. You know, he throws two pick sixes in the third quarter to end it. Um, you know, we hadn't really done much on offense at all in that entire game. I think that was the exact opposite in that game. We were about eight two and outs or nine two and outs in mm-hmm. that game. You know, our offense was not, you know, the, the offensive rhythm wasn't the problem in Calgary. Um, you know, so I thought Mike was playing a pretty good game. There was just bits and pieces. I think we counted 74 plays, and I could pin 16 plays on him that he could have played better. And out of those 16, seven of them, he still made something happen on them. He just didn't do it quite how we had wanted him to. So, you know, he still um, can grade higher, and we expect him to grade higher. But, no, there was no question in my mind he was going to finish the game, and I wanted him to finish the game. I wanted him to get it out of the system and to see it. And I still always go back to the Peyton Manning quote when he says, I learn from every single rep I'm in there. And I think one of those things you'll see about a quarterback and somebody like Mike, who's maybe struggling at, at through a, through a moment, that he needed those reps. He needed to, to have some some success, and I think ultimately that's what Calgary gave him on those last uh, couple of drives. Um, you know, our team went out there and scored some points, and I think that's going to help him along the way. Yeah, and you take him out, you don't get that positive fourth quarter going into Absolutely. Saturday for sure. All right. Okay, so that's the coach's explanation from talking with Morley Scott on the on the coach's show on Monday. Now, I, I I'm going to state. Well, to me, it's obvious, but I don't know whether you're going to di- agree or disagree. That wasn't a ferocious uh, 100% effort, you know, key point in the game, Calgary defense that Riley was facing in the fourth quarter. 
But, you know, I guess Moss's point is he made some throws. He wasn't a funk. Maybe just some success, regardless of the quality of the opponent, is going to make him feel better going into Saturday's game. And I, what actually what I found really interesting there was, was, you know, how detailed they are watching the film and going back over the game. And Moss said they ran 74 offensive plays. There were 16 where they didn't feel, you know, Riley was up to snuff. But even on seven of those, he, he still made something happen. So that that's how, how they look at it. Clearly, Riley has to improve. The whole team has to improve. They're playing the best team in the CFL. They're playing a team that has been dominant for the last two and a half seasons. They just haven't been able to win the Grey Cup. And one guy who can talk about that is Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. Pat, thanks for checking in tonight. Really appreciate uh, you checking in as you're, uh, as you just checked in through security. How are things at the airport? Well, I thought I thought that getting to the airport at six twenty-five or whatever it was would give me plenty of time to be ready at seven oh five. But security took like forty-five minutes. But I'm I'm good, and uh, it's a pleasure to be on your program. Uh, we'll start with the football since I was just playing the the Jason Moss clip about yeah. about Mike Riley. Uh, I, I mean, you're you're in that market, and, and I mean Eskimos fans are. I guess not confident when the Eskimos face the Stampeders. Why would they be? 15 of the last 18 meetings between these two teams, including playoffs, have been won by Calgary, including the last three, including a whipping on Monday. I, I mean, Stampeders fans, they must feel like if, if they're sitting down at McMahon or in front of their TV to watch a game, they they must be <laughs> they got to be pretty sure uh, it's it's a victory. I mean, is this team you know appreciated in that in that market to the extent that you and I think they should be? Well, seventeen consecutive games they've won at McMahon Stadium. I think eighteen now after after Labor Day. I mean, that's that's pretty ridiculous when you think about it. And I, I think that's funny. I think it actually has a uh, an opposite effect in a lot of ways. I think that there's. I think there's a little bit of malaise and apathy that goes along with it now because I think people, the Labor Day is a little bit different. But I think for a lot of regular season games, people say, well, Stampede are probably going to win this home game. Toronto or Winnipeg or Ottawa or whoever's coming in, oh, I'll skip this one and, and wait till Labor Day or I'll wait till the West, the West Division final or something like that. I think, I think it's actually kind of hurt the crowds at McMahon Stadium. And I also think they kind of have that, that I'm trying to think of another, another example. San Jose had it for the longest time in the NHL. Washington's got it right now in the NHL. It's like, okay, give me all the great regular seasons you want, but what are you going to do when it really matters in the postseason? Atlanta Braves, buddy. Atlanta Braves. Atlanta Braves, exactly. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, 2014, they won the Great Cup, and that was good, but they lost in 2012 in Toronto. They lost last year to Ottawa. And I even think that there's a little bit of a worry. I mean, you go back to two years ago when the Eskimos won the Grey Cup. They lost the West Division final to Edmonton when they had a really good year. So, I mean, there's there's always that worry about them not getting it done come postseason time. And so I think as much as it's appreciated down here, it's sometimes taken a little bit for granted. And on top of that, it's like, okay, show me when it really matters. Let's see what they can get done when it really matters. Look, the Stampeders are the class of the CFL again in the regular season. They're the measuring stick. They're the benchmark, and they're they're right now, you know, team that you have to you have to be wary of in the in the West Division. And yet, and yet they until they get it done in the postseason, 
uh, it, there's going to be some question marks for sure. I, I think the thing about about the and look, I don't believe anybody is unbeatable. I'm just not sure where you attack them. I mean, what the favorable matchup is for any team. And I'm, at least at this point, Pat, I'm not sure if you beat the Stampeders without some help from the Stampeders, a bonehead penalty, a couple of turnovers. You, you know what I mean? Or well, and I think I think at the same time, I think I mean number one, the Eskimos can't beat themselves, right? I mean the two and third quarter interceptions to Riley and the, the fumble on the the first drive. I mean, not only does Edmonton need to raise their game, but they also need to cut out those mistakes and yeah they probably they probably will need calgary to to make a mistake or two and and that's that's not out of the question i mean the the stampeders have, have made mistakes at different times this season so i think it's i think it's not out of the question that that could happen but yeah i mean i i think saturday's game is going to be a whole lot more competitive i think the eskimos are are a team that did not play up to snuff you know mike riley admitted to himself admitted to everybody that he was nowhere near as good as he needed to be you know if there's not that First quarter fumble, or or, or I, a bit of a head scratcher pass challenge that led to the Roy Finch punt return touchdown. All of that, you know, if if, if that stuff is, is taken out of the equation, I think we're looking at a closer football game and a more competitive football game. So, I think I think this is going to be a more competitive game on Saturday because I think the Eskimos are going to do a lot to to clean things up, but. There's a Stampeders team that's won six in a row, and, and I think they're feeling pretty darn confident about the way things are going. So I'm, I'm curious, but I think as much as they probably need the Stamps to, to make a mistake or two, they also, more than anything else, need to cut those mistakes out that they made on, on Monday afternoon. Pat Steinberg from the Flames Radio Network joining us on Inside Sports. Switching gears to hockey. Sam Bennett was taking one pick behind Leon Dreisaitl in their draft year, Pat. Leon Dreisaitl is going to make $8.5 million for the next eight years. Sam Bennett's going to make just under $2 million for the next two years. What is Sam Bennett's projection here? And I, I hate to use this word. W- would he be considered? And I, he's still very young, so I, I, I'm sorry if I'm going to try to stir things up. But I'll ask you this in that context: Would Bennett would Bennett be considered a slight disappointment so far? Yes, yes, he would. I mean, to go the, the fourth overall selection, the Flames used on him uh, one pick after the Oilers picked Leon Drysaddle third overall in 2014. The, he hasn't lived up to those expectations yet. 36 points and 26 points. In his first two seasons in the NHL, that that I think it is a disappointment. But I temper that with guys develop at different rates. I mean, you look. It's funny because I remember getting into it with a couple of Oilers fans after a couple of games in our Collins show in in Drysaddle's rookie season, and Drysaddle did not look good in that first year when when he got sent back to junior. Like, geez, this guy looks over his head. Then it looks more NHL ready at the time. Well. Look at the rapid progression Drysaddle's made to that point, to which he's you know, far surpassed where Bennett is right now, and, and now he's an $8.5 million super-impact cornerstone player, and Bennett's not there yet. But I guess that the message is that guys develop at different rates. I look at, I look at guys like Nazem Kadri or Bobby Ryan or, or right here in Calgary, Michael Backlund. And, you know, sometimes first-round picks take five or six years to get to where they're going to go as opposed to being impact players right off the bat. So I'm certainly not willing to throw in the towel on what Sam Bennett is, but I mean, he has, I think, been slightly disappointing in his first two years in the league. And I think this is a big year for him. You know, I, I compare him less to guys like Dreisaitl or Monaghan in Calgary or anything like that. I, I compare him more to players like, 
Nino Niederreiter or Alex Kolchenyuk or players like that who, you know, got off to decent starts in their NHL careers. They were clearly NHL players. I think Bennett is, but they didn't have incredible starts. But that jump from year two to year three was really significant for each and every one of them. And I think that's why it was so important for the Flames and more importantly for the for the camp of the player to have this contract done before training camp starts so that he doesn't miss a lick of training camp, doesn't risk missing preseason games, so he can be ready to hit it hard as soon as the season starts. And and that's the most important thing for me. That's the most important trait that that, the, that Bennett was able to get done by signing this contract yesterday. So, you know, he's going to be, it sounds like he's going to be the number three center for next year. So it's not like he's going to be put in a position to put up crazy points or to be playing with top-end linemen or anything like that, but I do think that if he can take some steps forward offensively, and if his two-way game can really, really take some steps forward, uh, I think I think we're talking about a more successful third season. And he's got two years now to prove that he's worth more than one point nine five million dollars per season. He's got two seasons to prove that he's worthy of a big payday. And for some guys, these bridge contracts work out big time. And I'm not comparing Bennett to these guys, but Subban. Johansson, Kucherov is going to pay off huge more. Sometimes it works out in a big, big way. Sometimes it doesn't. We'll wait and see. But at the very least, he's now got a decent amount of time, 164 regular season games, to really increase his stock before going into that next contract negotiation. Pat, uh, I know you got to get on a plane, and I'm tight for time. Uh, give me 20 seconds on the Edmontonian Spencer Fu, who was a college free agent, and he's going to play for the Flames this weekend. I'm looking forward to seeing him. He's 23, coming off like almost two points per game at Union College last year, and he decides to sign with the Flames. I want to see if he's one of the most impactful players at this at this tournament. I want to see if he dominates the way that a lot of people think he should. But I'm really, really you don't have seasons like that in college very often. They are so so rare. And so I want to see how that translates to the next level, whether it's the American League or, or possibly the NHL. But I'm really excited to see him. Pat, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for your time. Get safe to pen kicked in or else. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Cam Talbot in net. The Oilers having their captain skate on the community rink at Rogers Place today. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Patrick Maroon, Ryan Strom all joining the action. Connor McDavid will be checking in next week. You heard from Milan Lucic and Drake Kajula on this show yesterday. Of course, uh, Lucic is going to be at that special screening of Ice Guardians next week, September 12th at the uh, rec room to help benefit Dave Semenko's family. We had Adam Scorgi in studio talking about that a couple weeks ago, and I really appreciated uh, Lucic's comments on uh, Ice Guardians, the role of the enforcer, certainly a guy who plays that role and gets a few points along the way as well. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet, it is 7.34, 10-7, New England leading Kansas City. Two minutes into the second quarter, NFL kickoff game. George Peros is going to be the Department of Player Safety head. Speaking of uh, enforcers, uh, the Senators reducing the capacity of their rink 
by about 1,500 seats for the upcoming season. That's interesting. They won't have Eric Carlson for the start of the year. And speaking of the Oilers, uh, reports that Anton Slepeshev won't be ready for the start of camp. So we have the Eskimos game on Saturday night, 5.30 countdown to kickoff, game at 7. We have a hockey game tomorrow. Jack Michaels and Bob Stoffer will be in the booth in Penticton. Oilers Flames, 5 o'clock from the Young Stars Tournament, and Bob Stoffer checks in now, who I believe has safely arrived in Penticton. Hello, Bob. It's so smoky here, Reed. Uh, you know, when I left uh, Kelowna a month ago, uh, I cut the trip a little bit short. It was quite smoky, and nothing has changed. We drove in. I will tell you that it was way less uh, busy on the highways and traffic coming in than in past years, making the uh, sojourn the trek in. So I think that speaks volumes. A little less, uh, you know, maybe some people cutting some trips shorter, heading back in, you know, if they're Albertans and they got places in Kelowna, heading back into uh, into Edmonton maybe early just to get out of the smoke. Uh, the Liberals were in Kelowna, and we landed in uh, Kelowna, and we'll have a liberal amount of water talk coming up over the next couple of days. Well, you know, that, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, because that's the, the, the real-life aspect of it, and, and Penticton's beautiful. And I know in past years we've been there, we've seen kind of smoke in the in the distance, but yeah, yeah, I mean that's it's not that's right a, not great in right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, it's going to be cool though. Calling the game. So I had Pat Steinberg on from the Flames Radio Network in the last half hour, and, and he's talking about Spencer Foo. So it'll be interesting to see him from uh, of a Flames perspective. Uh, I mean, look, there's going to be a few Oilers guys to, guys to watch, but when you're a first round pick. Uh, you got all eyes on you, and Kyler Yamamoto is going to be fun to watch. And we both love that quote that Peter Shirelli gave us uh, from the draft. Give us a, a, a sense here of, of what you see Yamamoto's path maybe being over the next four to six weeks, Bob, ideally. Well, I'll tell you what. First of all, uh, the fact that Slepeshev may be out of the mix to start the first couple of weeks of training camp is something that's going to potentially work to uh, Kyler Yamamoto's favor. I mean, uh, will he factor in full time on the right wing? Maybe not, but does it extend his preseason look? You know, in the past, what would happen is going back in the 90s, sometimes the Oilers would have a, a first-round draft choice in for a game or two and then get sent back down to junior. I'm of the belief that uh, I'm of the belief that we are looking at potentially a scenario where, you know, and the other thing is back then we didn't have a rookie tournament. You had the one game against the Golden Bears, that was it. Would not surprise me in the least, Reed, if Yamamoto got two games here in Penticton. Uh, got the game against the uh, the Nate Grant McEwen team on the Wednesday night, and then potentially looked at it, uh, for sure a game against Calgary with split squad games, but maybe two to three more preseason games on top of that. Maybe right into uh, trying to make it a difficult decision at the start of. Uh, the Oilers regular season. I, I think he could push that hard, especially with, you know, there's a player there in Slepeshev, and he is not, read in my mind, 100% cemented himself as an NHL player. That's one fewer player in Yamamoto's way. And, you know, you can take it to the nth degree with Paul Yarby. Like, he's got a real opportunity here. But in terms of the tournament with uh, Penn State, Yamamoto's going to be the focal point of attention. Bob had a really interesting interview with with Caleb Jones earlier on the show. Well-spoken young man. 
We know the athleticism in his family. His dad was in the NBA. His brother's a, a great NHL defenseman playing for the Columbus Blue Jackets. I'll, I'll just I'll just tee you up with this because I, I enjoyed listening to him tell the story. I, I said, tell me some uh, advice that your dad gave gave you that that stuck with you, and uh, it was pretty simple, Bob. He, he said his dad told him, "There's always a younger guy who wants to take your job, so never let your your work ethic slip." The interesting thing is, Caleb's only 20. He's he's one of the younger guys that's going to be trying to take some jobs here in, in in the near to medium future. Well, it's interesting because of all the guys on the left side, right? But uh, there's a couple right shots guys, Ethan Bear, uh, Ryan Mantha. Uh, Mantha's a year older than both Jones and Bear. Uh, and then you get the left side guys, including uh, Ziet Pagan or Ziet Pagan. I'm very intrigued to see, you know, he spent a little bit of time in KHL as he further advanced some of these other kids that we're going to see in this tournament. And then the surprise for me was the signing of uh, uh, Dmitry Samokrukov today. I mean, that one kind of caught me. You know, and I think maybe a bit of it has to do with potentially controlling the rights of the player moving forward. Of course, he is Russian. But uh, and he is at this tournament. The orders are deep on defense. They've actually got now, Reed, as a result, more signed defensemen in this event than they have signed forwards on NHL deals. So uh, that, that, that alone is a pretty interesting and uh, a fact to see how things move forward for the winners. Uh, you know, just as an aside, I, I was at the Oilers' informal skate yesterday and today, and I'm not going to claim that it's full-on NHL hockey and you see bits and pieces. That, that Johanna Vitu can really move, Bob. I mean, he do, I know we thought, is he Andre Sekera light? He, he does look a little bit like that. He, he can skate, appears to be pretty comfortable with the puck on his stick, so you wonder where he's going to fit in depth-wise as well. Well, that's, you know, I think he's going to be, I mean, now that we know that Cody Franson took the P, and I, you know, I know we might quickly hit on that, he's take, elected to go to PTO to Chicago, and the reason why my guess is that Jerry Johansson chose that path is that they're probably of the belief that once the LPIR money kicks in a Marion Hosa after the start of the regular season, at that, you know, the, the Blackhawks could sign Franson, and we're probably prepared to go a little bit higher than Edmonton if Edmonton was indeed in the mix. I mean, that would be my sort of interpretation of what probably occurred here. So, uh, as for V2, Reed, there's another guy that spent some time with New Jersey, albeit they stuck with him, that played over Finland. He was an American, and that was Brian Rafalski. I'm not saying that a V2 is going to be Brian Rafalski, but he could turn out to be, you know, a Rafalski light type player. He can skate, he can certainly move the puck. And I know we had Ken Danico on the show, Devils broadcaster at Southside Athletic Club in Edmonton. And I know that he was stunned, absolutely stunned, that, uh, you know, there was a scenario there where the Devils didn't bring a V2 back because he thought they needed a puck mover. So that'll be intriguing to watch as well from a V2's perspective. All right, Bob. Before I let you go, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make a comment, and if you want to react to it, you can. If if not, you got to get going. Uh, New England's up ten seven. They are first and goal on the Kansas City three uh, halfway through the second quarter. Uh, I, I I'm one of the few people that probably still gets Sports Illustrated in the mail. So I was reading the NFL preview issue today, and there was an article about. Uh, you know, how the Houston Texans felt they let an opportunity get away in the playoffs last year against the Patriots, that they thought they had the defense to to beat the Patriots. Uh, you know, they did stymie Brady a bit, but he got a couple big plays, and the Houston quarterback made a couple big mistakes. 
Uh, and I found it very interesting that there was this suggestion that there's this defense that can confuse Brady and mix him up a little bit. There were actually extensive quotes from Bill Belichick in the article, which maybe leads me to believe he's not nearly as concerned about this as he might have been last year because he's yeah. had seven months to figure it out. But I found the tone of the article kind of interesting. You bet against the guy, you know, the coach, quarterback, and has been the most successful in the NFL history. I know I don't. Uh, my expectation is that they will push hard and they'll be ready to go to win. I mean, I think if, uh, I'll, you know what, if you're going to pick one team right now, it's going to be the Patriots, right? That's just, yeah. Uh, I think they deserve that right. I mean, they're there every year. And the rest of the division, frankly, I mean, you look at, uh, I mean, Miami's going with Jay Cutler. Uh, it's Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo's going to be a 4-12 and team. And then there's the Jets. Like, they're playing in the light, light you know, light boat division. Women and children first, while well, the exception, of course, of the Patriots, who have been very good over the years. Bob, always fun to talk with you, man. Thanks for checking in. I know you were traveling today. I'll see you tomorrow afternoon when I roll in. Take care, buddy. Thanks for the warning. All right, there he is. He, does, he gets me every time. That's Bob Stoffer, host of Oilers Now. And he will have Oilers Now from noon to 2 tomorrow, and then uh, we'll be back on the air at 5 o'clock. I, somebody texted in, if I'm going to Penticton, I am. I'm just not there yet. I'm going in uh, going in tomorrow, so I'll be doing some intermissions and reporting for them. We're not going to have uh, – we'll have a bit of a pregame show Monday afternoon. We're not going to have the full scope of the 90-minute pregame show and calls like we do during regular season, but we'll definitely be bringing you all the coverage and everything on the website that you need to know as well you can always text 630 630 you can call 780-496-0063 i love the odd uh, little sarcastic text uh john texting in about sam bennett now that he makes 1.95 million per season i wonder if he will hire a chin-up coach oh my there we go couldn't resist taking a shot at it. You know, I was actually on Steinberg's show this afternoon in Calgary, and we were talking about a legitimate Battle of Alberta. And Kellen, you know, and I wish I remembered the person's name. I should have wrote it down because I always uh, bring this up without giving the... But it was uh, somebody on the texture a couple of years ago. Uh, I mean, neither team was that great. And this texture said, Reed, it's not the Battle of Alberta. It's been the pillow fight of Alberta. You had 10 years with the Oilers out of the playoffs. Now, the Flames did have some good years in there. Absolutely. You can't deny that. They also had some years where they were in the same vicinity of the standings of, uh, of the Edmonton Oilers. And certainly the uh, year when would have been 14, going into the Dreisaitl, um bennett draft, where right. you had one team drafting third and one team drafting fourth. So clearly they were both coming off poor seasons. I mean, and now last year the schedule wasn't great for... You know, a late season matchup. They played twice in, well, they played the first two games of the year, and then they played back to back Saturdays in January. So you didn't have a late season, it's amped up, playoff positioning type feel. I mean, Calgary went on that winning streak, the 10 game winning streak, but they'd already played this, their season series against the Oilers, and then they, they didn't meet, uh, they obviously didn't meet in the playoffs. It'd be great if they met in the playoffs. Maybe maybe they finish 2-3 in the Pacific Division and they go head-to-head right off the bat. That would be incredible. All right, 7.45. New England got a touchdown. They're up 17-7 in the second quarter. We'll talk football, the European kind, and maybe the biggest tournament in the world coming to Edmonton. We're looking ahead, but it, but it is possible. Inside Sports on Chet. 
This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Well, I get sad whenever I hear that, because J.C. Sheriff's out for the season. Eskimo Stampeders Saturday night. Now, of course, Darrell Walker is back on the D-line. They're hoping to get Euclid Cummings and Daquan Bowers back in the lineup, maybe Philip Hunt as well. Uh, not sure what's going on at left guard. I think David Beard played there today uh, with Simeon Rotier and Danny Grew. Uh, not doing much at practice, so we'll keep an eye on that as the Eskimos try to end their three-game losing streak. All right, so one of the biggest sporting events in the world, well, I think it's actually the second biggest after the Olympics, the World Cup. We had the Women's World Cup in Canada in 2015. Edmonton hosted more games than any other city in Canada. 41 cities in the U.S., Mexico, and Canada have put in preliminary bids to host men's World Cup matches in 2026. Edmonton is one of them. Uh, now, this is a long way from being finalized because the North American bid hasn't even been accepted yet, though I think it looks good. A man who knows more about this is Richard Adams, the executive director of the Alberta Soccer Association. Richard, thanks for coming on the show. Haven't talked to you in a while, so it's good to catch up with you. How's life? Uh, life is good, especially when you have something like the World Cup. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, feeling like it's close to your backyard, which is not something Canada's ever been able to say. Well, uh, which is great. I mean, again, Canada's only been in the tournament that one time in, in 1986. I, I'll, I'll just kind of take three people through this here. So you got this joint North American bid, which which has never been done before. I believe Morocco is the only other possible bid out there. I, I mean, does this look pretty good that if it goes to uh, a, a vote process, and I think it's next summer they do it, that the that, that North American bid would be the one accepted? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of positives that come with with a bid that's coming from such a strong uh, set of countries uh, within the soccer landscape. Obviously, U.S. and Mexico have had a ton of success. Uh, whether it's hosting or, or even within the playing field on the national on the international stage, and Canada was added to this with with I think a very specific purpose because of their growing strength uh, within sort of the global landscape on the on the organizing side on the on the women's side. Obviously, we've had an incredible amount of success that has given us some credibility as well. So, three countries bidding's never been done. Uh, that might be if if there is a big hurdle, that might be the only one. Uh, but against Morocco, given that Africa has hosted more recently than North America. Uh, we're going back to 1994 for the U.S., uh, the last time that we actually did uh, host within our region. Uh, so I, I would say it looks really strong. We're, we're really excited about the, the possibility of the Men's World Cup coming in 2026. Okay, so this is the one where they're going to expand to 48 teams, so there's going to be more matches, 80 total. Have they talked about how that they how they would divide that up and, and how many games Canada would get? Yeah, uh, they definitely have talked about it. Uh, I wish we knew more detail than the 10, but they agreed when they came out as a united bid uh, amongst the three nations that Mexico would get 10, Canada would get 10, and the U.S. would get the, the remaining 60. So, wow, okay. Uh, so we know, we're, we know we're getting 10 games. I, I don't see that changing, uh, you know, just because of how public they've been on those announcements. Uh, not to say it couldn't happen. I would only see it going up for Canada, but I think that would be really rare for uh, for a bid to change. And I think the U.S. Uh, is going to carry the bulk because of the size of their stadiums and the depth of stadium availability they have. So Edmonton, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Regina, Vancouver are, are the cities that are on the bid. And, and this is preliminary. And yeah. obviously if Canada gets 10 games, I don't think they would spread it over six six stadiums. 
uh, you know, look looking ahead here, but but I would assume if they're going to narrow it down to two or three Canadian cities, Edmonton would be pretty well positioned given the matches we've got in the past and, and the caliber of our stadium. Yeah, I think our stadium is, is going to be a huge strength combined with the city's history hosting. Uh, you know, and, and that you know that history goes well back. Whether you want to go back to '78, uh, you know, hosting multi-sport games. If you want to go to the, the World Athletics 2001, and then the various World Cups that we've been a part of hosting from 2002, 2007, 2014, 2015. So uh, there's a lot of strength here. Uh, obviously, there's some great cities. Vancouver really showed a ton of strength uh, during during the 2015 event. And uh, Toronto-Montreal are sort of stalwarts within this process as well because, you know, whether it's because of political or because of the multicultural background of, of their cities and, and their knowledge of those cities internationally. So there's some strong cities. Uh, they have come out publicly saying it's going to be between two and four, somewhere in that range that come, come within the Canadian landscape. And I think there's going to be a lot of work to decide how many you do. Four, you know, means that, you know, the stadiums are going to average out to between two and three games. And that's a lot of investment in stadiums uh, for for such a few number of games, right? right? So, so I think there's a lot of work that has to be done. But Canada's really, you know, really dedicated to trying to give Canadians from across the the country an opportunity to to be as close to these games as possible. So, west east balance is, is possible. And, and people have probably seen the story uh, on our website as well that they'd put natural grass in Commonwealth. The Eskimos would yeah. have to vacate for a while, and then they'd put new whatever artificial turf is in vogue uh, in once the World Cup is is over. That's that's I'm that's the Coles that's, Notes version of that. That's a requirement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're they're allowed to do qualification uh, right up to the final qualification game using uh, the artificial surface. But for the men's World Cup uh, with the 2026 details at this at this stage, and they won't change. It will require a brand new uh, natural surface. All right. Well, this is definitely a story to follow. Well, like I said, biggest sporting event, not not, not yeah. name the Olympics, possibly coming to Edmonton, even though it's a few years down the road. We'll definitely keep an eye on it. Richard, we'll have to have you on some other night and get into some more details about things going on with the Alberta Soccer Association, but we really appreciate the update tonight. Yeah, I know, Reed. I, I appreciate the opportunity, and and don't let anyone tell you the Olympics are bigger because the World Cup will argue with you all day about. That. Well, that's that's a good point. There's there's more <laughs> there's more events, but uh, yeah, the, the the soccer has the has the International passion. International viewership, they like to argue. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. See you soon, Richard. Take care. All right. Thanks, Reed. Richard Adams is the executive director of the Alberta Soccer Association. Really good update on that story. All right, there's the music. We're into the final minute. Oh, last show of the week, Kellen. You're going to have to play the hobo tomorrow, I guess, when we sign off from Penticton. You're just, you're just, you're just all sad now. You're all dejected. You forgot about the hobo. Are you okay? Uh, oh yeah, I did. Okay, never yeah, mind. No, no, I'm trying hockey. to figure out what scenario we're in now. And I was like, okay. Well, that's all right. Whatever. 17-7, New England leading Kansas City in the second quarter. Besides Richard Adams, you heard from Pat Steinberg, Bob Stoffer, Caleb Jones, and John Chick. Oh, and David Shaw from UFC. UFC 215 Saturday at Rogers Place. Okay, so Oilers now noon to two tomorrow. Hockey play-by-play at five. Young Stars Oilers against Flames. Kellen Kennedy's your studio producer. Dave Campbell's your producer. I'm the host, Reed Wilkins. It is always a pleasure bringing this show to you. Thanks to everybody who called and texted. I'll talk to you from Penticton tomorrow. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.